0: Kids, I am never quite what I appear to be. Straightforward, I seem, but it's only skin deep from mystery. Most often lies beneath my simple speech. Sharpen your wits. Open your eyes. Look beyond my disguise. Kids, what am I? <laughs> Does that work? Uh, you know what? That actually really works, and it is really the point. Uh, Jesus. Okay, very close. Let's get from— the yeah, Paul, go for it. It's a riddle. Good riddles. So I've got some riddles for you today. You ready? Okay, here we go. Uh, if you have me, you want to share me. If you share me, you haven't got me. What am I? <laughs> this is so good. If you have me, you you want to share your donut? That's so cool. Uh, if you share me, I'm. But that works. It's a donut. Uh, what else could it be? Candy, it could be, let I me, mean, list us go on. It's a secret uh, if you ha- technically, technically it's a secret, you know. Uh, if you have me, you want to share me. If you share me, you haven't got me. Get it, it's a secret. Okay, we're gonna come back to that. Okay, this seems like totally doesn't have anything to do with what we just said. How many bricks does it take to complete a brick building? Ooh, I went out right there. How many bricks does it take to complete a brick building? Ooh. One, yeah, one. And y'all, y'all can just shout it out. Uh, one. Very good, Sanders. Just one. To complete a brick building, you just need one. Oh, sorry. That's just—okay, oh, yeah, yeah. how about this one? Okay, this one you really do. You really, like, uh, details here. Details. A man wanted to enter a very exclusive club. That just means, like, a club that—like, uh, like a secret club. How do you get into a secret club? He did not know the password that was re- that you needed to get into the club. So he 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 stood by the club and other people are going in and he's listening. So guy comes to the door, the security guy comes to the door and uh and the security guy says 12. And then the member says 6 and he gets into the club. Then another member comes up and the, and the security guard stops him and the security guard says <laughs> wait wait no sorry. No <laughs> wait it might be no uh and then <laughs> the member uh the doorman said six and the member replied three. three very good the man thought so the man wanted to get in thought oh i got it i got it i got it so he goes up and the doorman says 10 and the man replies five and he does not get in three. yes he should have said three. three why should he have said three three letters in 10, six letters in 12, three letters in whatever that other number was, six. Very good. Yeah. Okay. He got into the secret club. Bam. That was really, really good. Okay. Uh, How about this one? How does a friend physically stand behind his friend as his friend physically stands behind him? Oh my gosh, this is so good. Back to back. How does a friend physically stand behind his friend while his friend is physically standing behind him? You go back to back. Okay, last one. Where do cow friends go together? Movies. (laughs) You have got all of them. Today is so good to the movies. That's more of a dad joke. Um, Okay. Now, for reals. For reals. Who did Jesus die for? Good. Who's us? Us. It's you. Good. It's so it's like it's you. It's, it's you. It's you. It's you. And it's the church. The person sitting next to you. The person sitting across from you. People in other churches. You know, this isn't the only church that you know. People in churches across the world. So who did Jesus die for? You know, that sounds like oh, that's an easy one. That's actually been a mystery for a very very long time. Of. Who is God going to save? Like, who are his people? Is it Israel? Is it more than Israel? So y'all are, that's, it's more than Israel, right? It's more than Israel. It is, it is all kinds of people. Did y'all know that Jesus built heaven? Did you know that Jesus built heaven brick by brick or whatever he made it out of? He has built heaven. Do you know who he built it for? What kind of person is going to be in heaven? Ooh, good people. Sinners. What else? I mean, that's like, y'all, the kind of people that are going to be in heaven is every kind of person because Jesus saves every kind of person because he built heaven for every kind of person. What's the one thing in heaven that we're all going to have in common? All these different kinds of people. We're all sinners, and we're all, but in heaven, Jesus will make us perfect. And the one thing we'll all have in common together in heaven is Jesus, who will be there with us. That we, we, need, we all need Jesus. Every single person. The only way to get to heaven, for any kind of person, for every kind of person, for all people, is Jesus. And so we all need Jesus who lived for us, who died for us to save us. He's the only way to get in, and that's been a mystery for a long time, and God, through his word, has been telling us over and over, it's Jesus, it's Jesus, look to Jesus. Even before Jesus came as a little baby and grew up as a man, God was telling his people, there is a Messiah, there is a Savior coming. So, if there are going to be all kinds of people in heaven, what should, last question, what kind of people should we expect to be in the church? Sinners. And that's every kind of person. Like, we, in the church, we should expect, like, if you look around, you should expect this church and other churches to be full of people who don't look like you, who don't talk like you, who aren't into, who don't think everything that you think is funny is funny, who are, who are interested in other, like, w- this should be a church that is full of all kinds of people. Uh, and if you're in this church— uh, and you're one of those people, that means we're all friends, because one thing we have in common is Jesus. That's what we're going to be learning about today in the Old Testament book of Zechariah. This is Old Testament. This is before Jesus has come, and God is giving Zechariah this vision about all this stuff, about who he's going to save. Israel, if you remember, setting it in context, Israel has been taken into captivity uh, for 70 years by Babylon, that world power, and then Persia, the new world power, rises up, comes along, defeats Babylon, and frees the Israelites, saying, you can go live wherever you want in our empire. You, ha- you have our permission, and we'll oversee everything that you do. Uh, you want to go back to Jerusalem where you came from? Go. Go back. You can rebuild your temple. You can rebuild your walls. You can rebuild your cities. Go, and so some Jews go. They leave Babylon, they go back and they start to rebuild God's temple and they find and it's just super hard. They find trouble, they find opposition, they find suffering, pain everywhere they go. And so God sends the prophet Zechariah to his people who are working so hard to rebuild God's house, to rebuild God's temple. What we're doing just as a reminder we're focusing on the first half of Zechariah because Zechariah is is divided as a what they call a diptych where it's each half mirrors each other. So it's a, it, it parallels uh, each other in terms of structure and themes. And, and so the message is, is there and it's it's super full. And, and we're looking at the first half, which is these first, it's these seven visions that are given to Zechariah, And these visions build on each other and they reinforce each other and they parallel each other. So we, we didn't do this last week, but that's okay. We're going to catch right back up because this vision is just picking up where we left off in the last one. The text this morning is Zechariah chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. Please stand for the reading of God's word. And I lifted my eyes and saw, and behold, a man with a measuring line in his hand. And then I said, 'Where, where are you going? And he said to me, to measure Jerusalem, to see what is its width and what is its length. And behold, the angel who talked with me came forward, and another angel came forward to meet with him and said to him, Run, say to that young man, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as villages without walls because of the multitude of people and livestock in it. And I will be to her a wall of fire all around, declares the Lord, and I will be the glory in her midst. Up, up, flee from the land of the north, declares the Lord. For I have spread you abroad as the four winds of the heavens, declares the Lord. Up, escape to Zion, you who dwell with the daughter of Babylon. For thus said the Lord of hosts, after his glory sent me to the nations who plundered you, for he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. Behold, I will shake my hand over them, and they shall become plunder for those who serve them. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I come and I dwell in your midst, declares the Lord, and many nations shall join themselves to the Lord in that day and shall be my people, and I will dwell in your midst, and you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you, and the Lord will inherit Judah as his portion in the Holy Land, and will again choose Jerusalem. Be silent all flesh before the Lord, for he has roused himself from his holy dwelling. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. So, there's a lot in this vision, and we're actually only spending one Sunday in this vision. And so if there's something really, you know, crazy, amazing here that you that we don't quite get to, don't worry. Again, these visions build on each other. We'll be coming back to all the amazingness. Uh, so, so sorting out who's talking to who here can be a little complex, but if you, if you figure out the main speaker, it starts to become clear what's going on here. So that is really, really important. Zachariah goes into this vision, and he sees, it says, a man with a measuring line in his hand. And Zechariah asks this measurer, like, what's up? What is that? What are you, what are you doing? And the measuring man starts to talk to Zechariah. And then verse 3, this is where it gets a little tricky. Verse 3, the interpreting angel, who's been there with Zachariah, who's been like a guide for Zachariah in the first two visions, the interpreting angel comes forward towards Zachariah, and it says, and another angel comes forward too. And one of these two angels speaks to Zechariah, speaks and sends the other angel to this, quote, young man with an announcement. And so it's a a who's who, like who's doing what here. The angel speaking from beginning to end. So the main speaker here in this vision, it's not the interpreting angel. And that's important because that angel only ever interprets for Zechariah. He doesn't, he does not control the action. And he does not send other angels to perform his role of interpreting. So the angel speaking is the, quote, other angel, another angel. It's this other angel, and and the other angel is, in fact, the man with the measuring line in his hand. He's He's the measurer who's still answering Zachariah's question. Only now he answers Zechariah directly, and then he steps forward to say he's addressing Zechariah and all his people directly. Uh, and, and so it's it's uh, and and the young man is Zechariah himself. So uh, and what's more, the measurer angel identifies himself to be divine, starting in verse five, that he's speaking in the first person as God. So this, the the second vision we said erupts out of the first vision and the third vision erupts out of the second vision. So in this third vision, the other angel is the man with the measuring line who is the four craftsmen in the second vision, who is the man riding on the red horse in the first vision, who is the angel of the Lord, who is the son of God. Okay, so new vision, same players are here. Son of God, interpreting angel, and Zechariah, who is the young man. In the Old Testament book, Ezekiel, the angel of the Lord is depicted as a man with a measuring line, measuring out God's temple kingdom. So this is not new. Old Testament book of Job talks about God at creation stretching out the measuring line, measuring out the heavens and the earth. In the New Testament, go to the end of the Bible, in Revelation, chapters 11, again in chapter 21, we see the measuring rod used to measure out God's heavenly city. So, the Son of God here is on a mission, quote, to measure Jerusalem, to see what is its width and what is its length. But Zachariah's question still stands. Okay, wait, wait, what does that mean? Like, what do you mean you're going to go measure Jerusalem? As in... Is the measurer measuring something that already is? Is he coming to measure something that already exists? Is, is he, he's coming to measure the earthly city of Jerusalem, as in he's come to take account of what his people are going through right now. No. That's not the point of the third vision. The Son of God has not come to inspect the earthly Jerusalem city currently under reconstruction. That's, that's definitely, definitely the imagery. That's the imagery that's being used. But rebuilding earthly Jerusalem is not the point. So What God has done is he has promised. He's promised Jerusalem uh, it will be restored. And the Son of God has come to measure the perimeter, but it's of a future Jerusalem. The Son of God has not come like a, like a subordinate uh, surveyor The son of God, he's the contractor. He is engaging in sovereign construction right here. He's the builder who has come to build his heavenly city. He's not not measuring to discover the size of the city. He has come to mark out and to fix its boundaries, its perimeter, the boundaries of a new one. He's the architect, the constructor of the new cosmos. This is talking about the heavenly city. This is new Jerusalem. And it's not just the borders. He has come to mark out how full it will be. As in, who is in and who is out of this new city. Verse 4, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as villages without walls because of the multitude of people. And that's super important there. It'll be inhabited as villages without walls because of the multitude of people. And that's got to sound pretty scary first time the jews are hearing it because they're in jerusalem without walls because babylon demolished their walls about 100 years ago and now they're walking around on the rubble of their walls totally defenseless and they hear this vision so future jerusalem without walls that sounds that sounds crazy But the point is not to emphasize the safety of this future Jerusalem. Like, oh, well, you know, no walls needed in this future Jerusalem. Leave your doors uh, unlocked at night kind of thing. No, that's not the point. The point is this new city is open country. There are no walls to let other people in. What other people? Well, the people, the earthly Jerusalem walls were trying to keep out the nations. That's the mystery God is over and over and over and over again revealing. God has promised that the Jews will be a blessing to all nations. That promise goes as far back to Abraham. The Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Abraham, Genesis 12, God saying to Abraham, I will make I will make of you a great nation and you will be a blessing. In you all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. This promise goes even farther back than Abraham. It goes back to Genesis 9, right after the flood, God promises Noah. So think Noah and the flood. They've just come through the flood. After the flood, God promises Noah that his salvation will come through the line of Noah's son, Shem. That is, his salvation will come through the Semites, the Semitic people, Israel, the Jewish people. But... God also promises Noah that God will, this is what we confessed earlier, God will enlarge the tents of Shem to include the line of Noah's other son, Japheth. And then you get this fuller revelation here that the son of God measurer has so enlarged that tent that now it's a city, and it includes the nations, not just the Jews, but Gentiles too. Now, I heard this quote. I've not, disclaimer, I have not read this book, but this quote is too good not to quote. It's a pastor quoting a scholar, Philip Jenkins, who wrote a book called The Next Christendom. Uh, so again, I can't speak for the book as, as a whole, but this is very insightful. This says, When people used to say Christendom, what they meant were Christianized parts of the world, which for a long time meant Europe and the United States. And overwhelmingly, that's not the case anymore. The church is on the decline in those areas. What comes to mind, and this is, this is a question for you, in your mind's eye, what comes to mind when you think of a normal Christian? Go, think, in your head. Don't, don't say it out loud. <laughs> in your head. What comes to mind when you think of a normal Christian? He says, increasingly, what a normal Christian looks like is a non-white woman with a basket on her head walking down a dirt road. And if that's a stretch for you, the irony is, you here are a stretch for those who came before you. As in, the apostles would have been pleasingly, gratefully, joyfully, but incredibly shocked to see this room of people here gathered on the Lord's Day to worship Jesus. It would have been an awesome Awesome surprise. Because for the apostles, the normal Christian was someone who grew up Jewish, grew up going to synagogue, grew up going to temple, grew up hearing the law and the prophets and the writings, who had grown up hearing about the Messiah— being the deliverer that we're waiting for, and by God's mercy, that he's opened your eyes now to see that Jesus of Nazareth is that Messiah, and the normal Christian is the one who believes, who believes that Jesus has come to fulfill God's promises to his people, that he's risen from the dead, and that we worship him now. In the midst of this Roman occupation, this normal Christian would have been eastern-looking, Jewish ethnicity, that's a normal-looking Christian, and that's just not what this group looks like. And you may have that in your background. You may have—you may be of actually Semitic line, but, but the majority of the people here don't. And the Son of God measuring the city assures Zachariah and his people that the master plan of construction— The master plan of of the construction of this city, it does include the defeat in the judgment of their enemies. So he says, Up, up, flee from the land of the north, up, escape to Zion. You who dwell with the daughter of Babylon, behold, I will shake my hand over the nations who have plundered you, and they shall become plunder for those who serve them. So it's this thing of like flee the world, flee the worldly city, run home to God, run home to God's city, because judgment day is coming and the son of god measure is not just building his heavenly city through final judgment it's not just it, 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 it's not just a future thing he is building that future city presently through conquest right now right now it says so flee the world verse 6 flee from the land of the north declares the Lord, for I have spread you abroad as the four winds of the heavens. That, that sounds like bad news. Like you hear that, and that? That sounds like God's people are being scattered, but that, that's actually not what it's saying. This is good news. This is the measure enlarging the tent, expanding the city around the world right now to include more people. So, verses 10, verse 11, Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I come and I dwell in your midst, declares the Lord. And many nations shall join themselves to the Lord in that day and shall be my people. So this final city that he is building, it's not going to be a Jewish city. The measurer has come to build a city of Jews and Gentiles together. In the parallel section, remember we've said that the, the way the Book of Zechariah works, the first half parallels the second half, and they and they go together. And so you find these sections that really, really go together. Well, in this parallel section in the second half of Zechariah in nine seven, this was part of our confession today. It says this: Philistines too shall be a remnant for our God. They shall be chieftains in Judah. Okay, that's even crazier than hearing future Jerusalem won't have walls. Like, say what? That's the stuff of that neighborhood drug dealer will one day be an elder in the church. That's the stuff of the prostitute on the corner and the murderer on death row will be feasting with us in heaven. I mean, so, so think of it like this. Who do you, and don't say this out loud, who do you most not want to see in heaven? You got, got your list. We've got that list. Hopefully, you've not written it down, but it's this list in the, your head. Now, just these names that we assume will be spoken in hell when, when actually their names may be written in the book uh, of life, God's book of life. In Isaiah 19, this is an Old Testament book before Zechariah. In Isaiah 19, it talks about God shaking his hand over the Egyptians. And you get to see those, like, we, we, we saw those stark pictures foreshadowing final judgment with Israel and Egypt, like the ten plagues. We saw the ten plagues. Uh, we saw uh, Egypt is plundered by Israel before they leave uh, in their exodus, And we see that Pharaoh's army is wiped out in uh, the parting of the sea. And so, yes, like you see final judgment pictured there. And that is part of how God is going to, you know, build his final city. And Isaiah 19 talks about God shaking his hand over the Egyptians in spiritual conquest. And that the Egyptians turn and start worshiping God. And that actually happened too. There were a lot of Egyptians that left with Israel and joined Israel. In that Exodus. And Isaiah 19 doesn't just talk about Egypt. It says, There will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria, and Assyria will come into Egypt, and Egypt into Assyria, and the Egyptians will worship with the Assyrians. In that day, Israel will be the third with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing in the midst of the earth, whom the Lord of hosts has blessed, saying, Blessed be Egypt, my people, and Assyria, the work of my hands. And Israel, my inheritance. These are the big baddies. These are the enemies of Israel. And one of the ways the Son of God conquers his enemies is by converting them to be his friends. And this is not, please hear me, this is not a trite, not being cute, trite, saying this. This is real conquest. This is how the New Testament, uh, Romans 6.6, puts it, that our old self is crucified with Jesus in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. As in Jesus will slay the old self in each unbeliever to conquer them. He put our old self to death to raise us to new life to join his heavenly city, to join his family, to make us his friends. I think conversion is a real conquest. you got to remember the nations here in vision three. Th- the nations here, vision three, are the, they're the, the problem of the four horns of the altar in vision two that are rising out of the deep in vision one. And remember the deep is all evil and it's at peace and this is saying the son of god as the measure has come to make war to build his city which will inevitably inescapably be completed on his return and he is at work right now in that conquest and here's the so what for like a so what for the church jesus will bring final judgment when he comes back that's not our job right now the conquest that the church carries out It is not us taking over the government. That is not our job. Our conquest is not to win the culture war. Not our job. We conquer souls. We conquer the lost by proclaiming the truth and grace of Jesus and loving them with his truth and grace so that they become a part of the eternal city with us. That's what the measurer is doing right now. And if we redefine that conquest to be about any kind of earthly control, we forfeit the gospel. We forfeit the opportunity to be the church through whom Jesus is carrying out this conquest. God's message to us and to Zachariah and the Jews is spiritual conquest of all peoples. Again, imagine hearing this for the first time. Like, what do you think, like, if you put yourself in the mind of that, that Jew at that time, at this time, what do you think would have been the hardest barrier to overcome? Like, okay, the Gentiles are, are really, 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 really included in this. Okay, is it the Jew-Egyptian barrier? Like, the Egyptians had enslaved Israel for hundreds of years, murdered children, destroyed families. Is it Jew-Assyrian barrier? I mean, the Syrians had brutally conquered Israel in the 8th century and carried the northern tribes away. I mean, forever demolished what Israel was. Was is it the Jew-Babylonian barrier? I mean, they, the Babylonians destroyed the southern kingdom of Judah, destroyed Jerusalem, the city of David, destroyed the temple, God's palace, carried the Jews away into captivity for 70 years. Or is it the Jew Persian? You know, it's always the current enemy. Whoever's on the hit list currently, like they're the they're the ones that can't stand the most. Like, is it Persia? Because you got to make make no mistake. Like Persia, they are uh, overseeing. They have uh, Israel. The Jews have to answer to Persia. They're not free. They're under Persian control. And and we say this is for us too. So let's just go ahead and throw our experiences in there. Uh, what what. Barrier? do we think the gospel can overcome and can't overcome? What about that Republican-Democrat thing? Conservative, progressive barrier. Capitalist, socialist barrier. Y'all, Russia, Ukraine. Can God overcome a barrier? Uh, Like, can God's people include Russians, Ukrainians, even right now? east west people for vaccinations people not for vaccinations astros everyone else and we're the enemy in that one like we just gotta own that like what is the greatest barrier that god has overcome between his people is it the is it the jew gentile barrier like are are there are, are there social barriers that the gospel cannot overcome are there economic barriers? Are there, are, are there, you know, think of any barrier that you can come up Like, what is the greatest barrier that has been overcome? The greatest barrier that has been overcome by God is the God of heaven becoming a fetus, and a toddler, and a kid, and a teenager, and a young man, and a man, God becoming man to save us from us. So that he can be with us, when God promises that he will be a wall of fire all around the city, in this vision he says, "I will be a wall of fire all around the city." You are not supposed to envision a ring of fire encircling the city. That's actually that's not that's not what this is saying. It's God's fiery presence filling the whole heavenly city to its unwalled limits. Verse five: I will be to her a wall of fire all around, declares the Lord, and I will be the glory in her midst. So fun paradox: the unwalled heavenly city has a wall around it because God's presence fills it, and it's not a wall for defense. It's not a wall for defense against an attack. In this heavenly city, you see this. You see this wall again at the end of the Bible in Revelation twenty-one that tells us exactly what this wall is. It's a sanctifying boundary sanctifying all within as holy to the Lord. God's wall of holiness, it's not about security, it's about sanctity, because Jesus is there in all of his glory. So some more fun paradox. The consuming wall of fire of God's holiness, it prevents any sinner from entering into the heavenly city, and yet we are told that this city is full of sinners. It's full of people. And not just any, it's former outcasts begging the question, how? After the fall, uh, Adam and Eve are exiled out of the Garden of Eden. They're, They're kicked out, and that is an act of judgment. They are being banished from God's presence in Eden, and it's also an act of mercy. Because they cannot live in God's holy presence. They cannot, in his holy place of Eden, they cannot stay there as sinners, or they will be consumed. And as they exit the garden, they turn and they see the cherubim angels with a sword of fire turning every way, walling off the garden. If you go into God's presence as a sinner, you will be destroyed. So, what happens to Jesus when he takes our sin on himself on the cross? He knows what he's doing. He is taking your sin to take the death blow of the sword of fire of God's judgment to open up a way through the wall of fire. To gain entrance for an innumerable multitude out of all the nations. So this question for us of what is it that will keep the Christian church together? What will keep our community, and we really can we can just make this about it what will keep our community together? Some people in some churches, so not just us, but some people would say, well, it's, it's programs, it's your programs. And some would say it's events. Some would say it's theology. Some would say it's your mission. Some would say it's your communication. Some would say it's your culture. And some would say it, it's your habits. The answer, and I love the way my friend Sean Slate said this, it's like, I'm I'm not being trite. I'm not being cliche. It's Jesus. Jesus will keep his people together because Jesus creates his community. Jesus enlarges his tent. Jesus builds his city. And Jesus is enough for his community. Like, what's going to keep the church going is what has always kept the church going. What kept the apostles together And what kept the first church together, what still keeps the people of God together is that we love Jesus more than we love our politics. We love Jesus more than we love our reputations. We love Jesus more than we love our comfort. We love Jesus more than we love our preferences. We love Jesus even more than we love our own lives. So I am not asking you to enlarge your tent Jesus has enlarged the tent it's his tent which is why it includes you I'm asking you to believe that this grace and this savior is for you that his tent that his heavenly city has been measured and it has been built for you And not just and it's not just you. It has been built for the person sitting next to you, and not just for us here, but for his people around this country, and not just the people in this country. It has been built for his people around the world. It has been built for people in Ukraine. It has been built for people in Russia. And we want you to do is believe that Jesus is for any and every kind of broken per- broken person. And that includes you, and your neighbor, and even your enemy. So, With that, what I would like to do is pray with you. And I would like you to pray with me, that Lord's prayer that our Lord has taught us to pray. Let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, and thy will be done